0: This is Illinois in Focus, powered by Centersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about political days at the Illinois State Fair, the fallout from the mask mandate in schools, and more. We'll also get commentary from The Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about someone's livelihood being threatened over their views on masks, the state's eviction moratorium, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
1: Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer's sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com, thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by
0: TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Now that the latest U.S. Census data has been released, it's expected more maps will be coming out. The map already approved for statehouse seats may have to be redone. Democrats passed new statehouse maps this spring. Governor J.B. Pritzker enacted those maps. They were based on American Community Survey estimates. Republican analysts say the latest block-level data the census released last week shows the Democrats' maps go beyond allowed Deviation. Pritzker on Monday said with the latest data released, lawmakers may have to rework things.
2: And, you know, to the extent that there are changes that will need to be made, that's certainly something the legislature will need to take up and, and I'll consider.
0: State Representative Tim Butler said it's beyond the constitutional deadline for action from lawmakers and a commission must take over. That's the, I think that's what we're going to be asking the federal courts to do. Um, and this, this means that the governor signed a bill that was, that was really uh, was invalid, and they knew it at the time. They knew that the, the ACS data was was going to come back like this. The Illinois House Speaker's office said analysts are reviewing the data. It's possible they could come back to the state house later this month. And as Democrats look over U.S. Census data released last week, Republicans at the state house and the U.S. Congress expect it to be partisan. Butler said with the state losing a seat in Congress because of population declines, he expects majority Democrats will try to reduce Republican districts as much as possible. This is a process that's going to be very partisan. Uh, and I, my guess is at the end of the day, the Democrats are going to try to get through a map that that really um, continues to reduce the uh, Republicans in the in. Congress. And that's and that's unfortunate. U.S. Representative Rodney Davis has held a seat for five terms. He's waiting to see what the map looks like before deciding his next political step.
2: So hold on to your seats. We'll see what kind of political gerrymandering they put forth and then we'll all make decisions based upon that battlefield.
0: Davis's name's been floated as potential gubernatorial candidate, but He's made no such pronouncements. A state senator's filed an ethics complaint against the Pritzker administration after a professional regulatory body investigating a school board member who's also a doctor demanded to know his position on mask use for children in schools. Doctor Jeremy Hendricks is also an elected member of the Mohammed Seymour School Board. He raised questions about masking children in schools. Emails indicate the state investigator with the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation opened an investigation after a complaint. State Senator Chapin Rose said that's chilling. They're th- Threatening on one hand an official investigation of his medical license for his conduct as a school board member on what may or may not happen at some point in time when he might vote on something. That is wrong. That's wrong on any level. I mean, this is North Korea. This is Stasi-level stuff, okay? We are not those countries. He's filed an ethics complaint against the Pritzker administration.
2: In the United States of America, we do not settle political disputes through threats, intimidation, and coercion. And in fact... There's actually a statute about this. It's called Threatening a Public Official.
0: Rose demanded the governor not only denounce the investigation, but to also publicly apologize. And quite frankly, it would be nice if, if Governor Billionaire
2: would reimburse Dr. Hendricks some of the money he's out for the lawyer fees.
0: The Pritzker administration nor the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation have responded, but the governor's office told other media outlets no one will be punished for their mask position. Rose said that's not enough and demanded an apology. With word that 26 Illinois schools have been put on probation for not complying with the mask mandate, some are challenging the legality of enforcement. Kevin Bessler has that story.
2: Earlier this month, Governor J.B. Pritzker issued an executive order mandating masks be worn by students and staff. State school superintendent Carmen Ayala addressed the matter
3: during Wednesday's board meeting. Masking works. It's simple, easy, and effective. And it works best when everyone in the school building wears a mask.
2: Representative Darren Bailey told the board that the governor does not have the authority to force schools to
3: require masks. This debate is not about whether you think masks should be worn. This debate is about whether or not we will uphold the rule of law. Attorney Thomas DeVore is suing Pritzker, saying he doesn't have the authority to tell local school districts how to run or enforce the mask requirement. I'm Kevin Bessler.
0: Illinois Democrats have the governor's office and all other statewide constitutional offices. They also have super majorities at the statehouse and both seats for the U.S. Senate, but they want more. Wednesday was governor's day at the Illinois State Fair. At an off-site brunch, Democratic Party of Illinois chairwoman, U.S. Representative Robin Kelly, said Democrats need to maintain their existing seats and gain more, even targeting one of her Republican colleagues by name. And please, let's send some more back to Congress. Let's send Mary Miller and her friends packing. That will help us too. Illinois loses a seat in Congress because of population decline and Democrats control drawing Illinois' new congressional map. Democrat U.S. Representative Sherry Bustos isn't seeking another term. Illinois Secretary of State Jesse White also is not seeking another term. He told fairgoers at the governor's day lunch to replace him with a Democrat.
2: We want to make sure that the Democrats retain the constitutional offices and the state offices in the state of Illinois this last election.
0: There could be four candidates vying for the Democratic nomination. White expects more people to announce the primaries June 26th 2022. After the filing period early next year, Governor J.B. Pritzker and incumbent could face U.S. Army veteran and Chicago area nurse Beverly Miles. She said Pritzker's major flaw is making unilateral decisions during the pandemic. I wouldn't make no blanket decision across the board and say, hey, all of the business need to be shut down. We need to look at the hot spots. We need to be looking at the data. And yes, I will Uh, Take bring legislation back in so we can discuss, okay, what areas need to be shut down opposed to what areas can stay open. Miles said she wants to debate the governor. Following a stump speech at Governor's Day at the Illinois State Fair, Pritzker responded.
2: Well, I look forward to having the opportunity to meet her. I don't know her, but um, I I do want to honor her service uh, to our country serving in the military as she has, Um, and I look forward to the opportunity to get to know her a bit.
0: Republicans had their day at the Illinois State Fair in Springfield, and they say they're winning on key issues and are promising to fight against the Democrats' agenda. Illinois Republican Party Chairman Don Tracy said one of his main goals was plastered on campaign signs throughout the GOP event.
2: Illinois is woke and weak and falling behind states governed by Republican governors, many of the states that surround us here in Illinois. So you want to know what my biggest priority is in 2022? If you haven't guessed it, look at the banner. Say it with me. Let's fire Pritzker!
0: There are at least three Republicans who've announced they're vying for the party's nomination for governor. Illinois House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said Republicans are already eating into the Democrats' agenda by defeating the progressive income tax last November. Illinoisans rejected that. Illinoisans Republicans,
2: Democrats, and Independents said no.
0: Durkin said that Republicans will also highlight the slew of corruption charges some former state house Democrats face. Republican members of Illinois' congressional delegation were also on hand and said that they have a chance to take the U.S. House back in the midterm election. Peoria Republican U.S. Representative Darren LaHood said Democrats act as if they're winning, but Republicans are in a strong position for next year's midterm election.
3: All of the predictions were the House Republicans were going to lose 15 to 20 seats. We actually didn't lose one Republican seat and we picked up 15.
0: Oakland Republican U.S. Representative Mary Miller has been targeted by Democrats nationwide. She said that's the Democrats' way of distracting from their bad ideas and the vitriol doesn't scare her. But what I am afraid of is the future for our country. We are the most free and
2: prosperous nation in the world. I'm a mom and a grandma and I want our children to recognize our country and our grandchildren and to have access to the great opportunities that we've all had to pursue the American dream.
0: Illinois farmers have concerns about the energy legislation Governor J.B. Pritzker says is nearly complete. The governor's been pushing for a bill to provide ratepayer subsidies to nuclear power plants and to close coal-fired power plants by no later than 2045 if they meet certain criteria. He says it's necessary to combat climate change. Outside of Illinois State Fair Agriculture Day events Tuesday, Illinois Farm Bureau President Richard Gebert said farmers are worried about the energy reliability issues.
2: And far citizens, all across the state of Illinois, it's important to have reliable, affordable electricity. He
0: also said consumers would be on the hook for bonds if plants are required to close early. Later in the day at
2: a separate event, Pritzker said not everyone's happy about the bill. That's sort of the definition of compromise. That you have to give up a little something on your side. Other people on the other side have to give up a little something in order that you can meet in the middle.
0: It's unclear when such a measure could surface for a possible vote. Giebert also said there's always concern about the cost of the state's second highest in the nation property taxes. Asked about it at a separate event in Springfield, the governor said local
2: taxing bodies should lower property taxes. Why is this a good year to do that? Schools received not only increased funding from the state of Illinois, but received a, a boatload of support from the federal government as well. But Gebert
0: sees the U.S. Congress discussing $3.5 trillion more on top of a $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan and worries that it'll hit the inheritance of future generations of farmers.
2: Same as small business in the rural communities, we need to have that opportunity to do that. It would be costly and expensive for the next generation. Uh, if we lose that stepped-up basis.
0: Embroiled in a lawsuit, the governor says his administration's eyeing any possible way to keep tenants in their homes as the state's eviction moratorium is set to expire. The governor is being sued by the Illinois Rental Property Owners Association. Paul Arena with the group said that the case is on appeal and the landlords across the state are at a financial breaking point. He also speculated the governor will extend the state's moratorium. Pritzker wouldn't say if that was the case, it when asked Monday.
2: You know, whether we do or don't, I think the important thing to note is this is going to be a many, many months-long process uh, so that people don't get evicted.
0: Arena said it's been 18 months, and while there's federal tax money going out in rental assistance, there are too many landlords not getting any. He also took issue with the possibility of assistance going directly to tenants if landlords are uncooperative.
2: Our complaint is that it's not reciprocal. We're experiencing a lot of difficulty with landlords who are desperate to get back rent and tenants who refuse to participate in the program.
0: Tenants must complete rental counseling by September 7th to get the direct funds. Those are the top stories from the past week for Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois in Focus podcast. This is the crosstalk segment, commentary powered by the Center Square in Illinois. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, and I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square. Dan, what is cooking?
3: Well, we're in the middle of the uh, Illinois State Fair. We got more fights about mask mandates. Um... More COVID discussion that feels coming our way. So, uh, outside of the Illinois State Fair, a typical week, it seems.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, but not the typical story uh, to lead uh, crosstalk today. So, there is a doctor in um, central Illinois who is also a member of uh, his local school board who it sounds as if is being uh, threatened uh, professionally uh, from a licensure standpoint by the state of Illinois because of his opinions uh, expressed in public meeting and outside of it, of course, on mask mandates in schools. So can you set the context for us help us to understand exactly what's going on here yeah so you and
3: i do a lot of rantings on this podcast on this show um from week to week but i've got to tell you this story uh, if, if this story gets my blood pressure up i think more than maybe any other story we've covered um uh, you mentioned the doctor dr jeremy henricks who's a sports doctor and a sports team physician at the University of Illinois. He also sits on a local school board in in central Illinois. And um, he's verbally um, said that he opposed Governor J, opposes Governor JB Pritzker's mandate for students, for kids in school. Um, He's of course not the only one. There've been protests across Illinois and across the the country um, by parents of younger students um, who, uh, whose schools, whose school districts have mandated masks. Well, he just he verbalized that himself because he's a doctor. Um, the state um, uh, regulates him and licenses him, and he got a uh, he got a letter um, recently um, from the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, which regulations which regulates medical licenses, um, um, essentially threatening his license. Um, uh, uh, because of his stance as a school board member opposing Governor Pritzker's mandates. Uh, Here's a direct quote uh, from the doctor uh, uh, to us. I have considered authoritative medical evidence that questions the necessity of mandatory masking in our schools. As a result, the Illinois department of financial and professional regulation has threatened my medical licensure unless I expressly support and enforce a mandate for mask mandate for all students. This is big government and big, uh, big brother completely out of control. Um, It it just, it, it really bothers me that the state because of his personal views on mask mandates, uh, would threaten to go after his professional license. That's outrageous. Uh, someone needs to be held accountable for this.
1: Like I I, I, have, I find it difficult to believe. I mean, COVID, no COVID, and COVID has made you know uh, a, a fair number of people uh, bonkers, right? I mean, and 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 government has pushed in as hard as I've ever seen government push in. On anything in my lifetime in the state of Illinois, but to go after a doctor, so a regular, so our our state licensure uh, bureaucrats are leaning into a doctor who's expressing a personal point of view in the context of his public service as a school board member, and simply because he's offering some pushback against mandate they're threatening his license thereby i mean it's i mean you cannot be a doctor and and without a license in the state of illinois right i mean it's you cannot perform medical activities without a license because that that's a that's a crime
3: right can't earn a living can't treat patients right um, um essentially can't serve your calling um, I, I do want to take a moment to, sh- uh, to give a shout out to uh, uh, Greg Bishop, a reporter uh, in Springfield, uh, Illinois, uh, who broke this story. Uh, very good reporting by him. He reached out to this licenses- licensing agency, the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. Um, the story is on our website, thecentersquare.com, uh, broke last night. Uh, as of, uh, as of a little while ago, they had not gotten back to us. So we want to get their, their side of things. If there's an, uh, an explainable side to this outrage. Um, uh, but I just wanted to, to, to throw Greg's give Greg some credit, uh, uh for this tremendous, tremendous overreach, um, from the state.
1: That's an, it's that's an, an amazing story. And I think we're just, we're just, we're, we're taping this on Thursday. I think this story is really just at the beginning. Right. If and this I, is, you know, if this is, if this is the way it's going to go, that, you know, that you're going to have your livelihood threatened because you, you have a, a perspective and, and, you know, my understanding, and, and of course this needs to be, you know, further explored, determined this, this person's not an anti-vax person uh, that, you know, that's, that's, that hasn't, nothing like that has been has been said uh that this person might not even be necessarily an uh this doctor uh may not even be an anti masks person but what he has said is that the state shouldn't mandate mask wearing
3: yeah it should be a parental and a student choice it, right it, it, it's it's all and there. there are plenty of people around millions of people around the country are making that same uh, that same argument.
1: This is um, not a radical, this is not a radical point of view. It would be a point of view that would differ from state mandate, but it's correct. not a, ra- it's not a radical point of view. And not by any means. So, I mean, obviously we're going to, we're going to keep an eye on that. I mean, schools did reopen for the vast majority of the state this week and we can kind of transition into just where the uh, Illinois State Board of Education is with regard to masks. There is a I mean, obviously, uh, Dr. Henrik is pushing back on a state mandate for students to wear masks in there's, school.
3: There is one other element to the story that oh, I just want to want to bring up. Apparently, because of his role as a school board member, and I should say, you know, he, he, uh, he, uh, that that's a public service that he provides. It's a volunteer position. You do not get paid in, in Illinois to be a school board member. Um, so he's... He's giving back to his community by being a school board. Well, apparently a parent or someone else uh, in the school district who didn't like his point of view on the mask mandate filed a complaint um, with the state and the state based on someone just complaining about his point of view, opened this investigation uh, into him. Um, uh, and here, here's one comment from what the, the state sent the, the doctor who's under investigation, quote, that would fall under the unprofessional conduct part of the Medical Practice Act. They're essentially claiming that him practicing his First Amendment rights to free speech uh, is unprofessional conduct part of the Medical Practice Act.
1: It's outrageous. It's outrageous. I mean, you know, and we we talk about government and what government does and should do and shouldn't do and I mean in the context of all manner of things with regularity on Illinois and focus on the crosstalk segment. This is ridiculous.
3: Yeah, just any anonymous person can contact the state. They don't like what someone else says or what their political opinion is on, on a matter, and the state's gonna open an investigation. Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, it's frivolous. And the and the and the and the, the public scrutiny um that Dr. Hendricks is receiving for this and has received for this. I mean, can you imagine, you know, how you would feel if you got that letter from the from the state of Illinois that just threatened your livelihood because somebody didn't like what you said in a public meeting? I mean, uh, let me just... I'll, I'll promise to try to not freak out. What is going on? I mean, so now we cannot even have... Political discourse that someone who's a who's a medical professional who has an, a point of view that is not exactly aligned with the state—they have to worry about not being able to practice medicine because some person was offended by what he said. I mean, as as if Dr. Heinrich has really any authority beyond expressing his own point of view and a single vote. With right. any school board, get lost. This is this has reached a point of complete insanity. Complete insanity.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely. Government, state government is out of control um, with something like this. I, I imagine. I can only imagine that someone is gonna. If, if someone should lose their job over this. Um, but, uh, the folks w- within the state who launched this investigation and sent this letter to the doctor, um, uh, are going to be held accountable. They better be held accountable because that is government going way, way too far.
1: That's yeah, witch hunting. It's witch hunting. Just, just knock it off. Do better, Illinois. Brutal. So, um... All right, let's take it back into the schools. So, setting context: schools, schools open, kids are back. Um, my kids went back the last couple of weeks. My, 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 you know, my middle one back in high school last week. My youngest one back in grade school uh, this week. Uh, there is a mask mandate. You know, so they took the bat out of the hands of the local schools, the schools that are saying, well, we're not really going to follow along with the mask mandate. They're they're having their funding threatened. So one by one, they're they're peeling off and starting to acquiesce to this because it's kind of difficult to run a school with no money, uh, regardless of what the local community and what the local board has has uh, put into place. This is not happening in other states around the country. Just FYI, there are plenty of states um, blue states, as a matter of fact, where the uh, governor um, has said that it's up to the local school district to make that decision, and has and has you know allowed the school district to I- implement you know a parental choice approach toward masking. Not happening here. You're wearing a mask. State Superintendent of Education Karma Ayala um, talked about this on Wednesday, and um, said, "Quote." Masking works. It's simple, easy and effective and it works best when everyone in the school building wears a mask, period. Where is this story going? Well, first, let
3: me just say um, uh, like like um, Dr. Henricks from the last story, she's entitled to her opinion as well. Not everybody shares her opinion. In fact, at this Illinois State Board of Education meeting that was held Wednesday, we're taping this on uh, Thursday, Uh, August 19th, so on Wednesday, August 18th, this meeting was had, and and there was discussion, of course, about the mask mandates because of massive protests statewide. There were people protesting the mask mandate um, um, at the State Board of Education meeting. Um, So there are plenty of opinions about that. Um, Unfortunately, as you said, uh, Governor Pritzker uh, mandated that all students, all teachers, all school staff must wear masks for the entirety of the time uh, that they're in the school building, which for for many people is about eight hours, seven eight hours. that's a long time uh, to go uh, uh, wearing a mask. And uh, many parents just feel that their students shouldn't be masked up um, for eight hours uh, a day. Um, uh, but it is uh, it is an order here and so far um, the state has sh- sanctioned twenty six um schools or put what have put twenty six schools who have bucked that mandate on probation, um, which means they could lose their accreditation, they could could lose uh, state funding, um, because they disagree and think it should be a personal choice. If -hmm. you want to wear a mask Mm -hmm. uh, to school, if you're a parent and you want your child to wear a mask to school, no problem. No one's saying don't wear a mask. You Mm -hmm. can wear a mask if you want to. Um, um, But what they're saying is, if my child doesn't want to or can't for whatever reason, then they shouldn't have to wear a mask. Right. Um, but that's not the case in Illinois.
1: And, and Carmen Ayala, you know, the, you know, she, she, you know, she took over in, in 2019, you know, as the state superintendent of education and she does hold the title of doctor. Right. She's an English yes. teacher. She, okay. Just to be clear. Right. She's an English teacher, you know, so she's a, she's her, yeah, she's not a medical doctor. She, she, you know, when she says masking works and I mean, it's saying that, you know, I mean, that, that's purely political. She's not a doctor. She's got a PhD in education. She's not a doc. She's not a medical doctor. So in this, this crazy world that we have going on here, we have someone who's actually like to go back to the last story, Dr. Dr. Hendricks, he is actually a doctor. Okay. And his point of view you know, which is you know he's serving in local government, but he's not bureaucratic, right? right. I mean, he's not being a bureaucrat. He, he's, he's a, a volunteer. volunteer yeah. Right? He's not getting paid for that. Right? He's getting his he's getting his head kicked in for free. Okay. And then you got you know somebody like you know Dr. Ayala, who um is an English teacher, who you know rose through the ranks of the public school system here in Illinois, got her PhD, um and is not a medical doctor. And she's saying that masks work. Right. Well, well who, I'm, who, sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying, well, I mean, it's like from a validity standpoint, point of view, I mean, who would you be more likely to listen to if you were not being told to listen to one of those two people? Well, that's that's, that's
3: been the big, the ongoing, uh, fight during this whole COVID-19 and government restrictions and and whatnot is everybody has an opinion and everybody's entitled to their opinion, but doctors disagree on it. This doctor is one who disagrees with the CDC uh, and the state's uh, uh, health health director. Um, of course, Superintendent Ayala, as we said, is not a doctor. I do want to call attention to another um, quote uh, from the uh, state school superintendent. Um, that I think is also indicative of how confusing this whole pandemic has been in terms of how government is supposed to work in a democratic republic. Um, uh, Superintendent Iola said at the school board meeting yesterday, quote, "Uh, the executive order has the force of law, unquote. Legislatures in a democracy make laws. Governors don't make laws. Right see that laws are enforced and interpreted uh, in the in the way that the legislature meant. The legislature never issued or pa- passed a law mandating mass in schools Well, never and never discussed it I mean but, as far as I know yeah if there was any legislation filed about it i I'm, I'm not aware of it, uh, but regardless, the legislature did not pass any laws. it's the legislature's job to make laws not the governor of Illinois, through executive order. Um, uh, He's for 18, almost 18 months now. Governor Pritzker has um, unilaterally decided how Illinois residents are going to live their lives, and it's got to stop.
1: Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. And and we're, you know, I mean, the, 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 I'm going to get wound up about the, about the, about the professional licensing aspect of this, you know, so you have someone who has no medical training at all can say whatever they want because they're a bureaucrat and you have a, a doctor who has medical training and actually works, you know, for the university of, of Illinois, you know, in, in addition to the, you know, to the core work that he does, he, he can't say what he wants. So that's yeah, yeah, that's where we are. Just in case you thought things were getting a little bit better, no, they're not. They're not. This is that it's nuts. So, um, you know, it's it, it, we we pined um, months ago. You know, I think when when COVID numbers were improving, it's like okay, finally we're going to get past this, and you'll know, we'll have other things to talk about. We're going to talk the entire time today, with the exception of whatever you know time we had put into the state fair, which of course there's, you know, there's COVID mitigations that are happening there because it's a public event. We'll probably have to talk about COVID at some point during the state fair thing, but um, we just talk about COVID all the time because it, it just, it, 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 it is permeated everything. Yep. So the next, next subject, as we slide along, um, the eviction moratorium uh, it's facing not only state lawsuits, but federal lawsuits. And you know, as it's set up, you know, here in Illinois at this point, you know, and this is um, is this is okay. So there's there's the there's the federal moratorium on evictions, and then where are we in terms of the of the state on eviction moratoriums? Let's let's get everybody caught up with kind of wh- just sort of where we are, and then let's let's talk about kind of, you know, what's next in the lawsuits and try to make sense of that.
3: Sure. So, so the, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, again, by executive order, by fiat, not by, um, legislation, uh, there's been this uh, eviction moratorium in place. Uh, of course, uh, government mandated shutdowns of economies led to millions upon millions of Americans losing their jobs. Um, uh, uh more than, more than 24 million, I think at one point, of, uh, of Americans who had previously been employed lost their jobs during the pandemic because of these government shutdowns. So they issued um, this eviction moratorium. Uh, you can't didn't want 24 million Americans, uh, more than that when you count their families who they support, because, uh, uh, but they couldn't support because they lost their jobs. You don't want uh, 24 million American families uh, put on the streets and homeless. Uh, that would create a significant crisis. So early during the pandemic, this eviction moratorium uh, was put in place. And what that essentially meant was is that um, landlords, whether it's, you know, big landlords who own multiple apartment complexes, et cetera, or just mom and pop landlords who own a couple of uh, uh, rental homes uh, just to help them get through retirement, um, could not evict um, their tenants even if they were not paying rent. Of course, that was 17, 18 months ago when this was first put in place. It was set to expire. It was supposed to expire July 31st. In, in fact, the U.S. Supreme Court's um, uh, previous lawsuits made it uh, made it up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and because it finally got to the Supreme Court in early July, um, they said we're going to let the moratorium stand since it's expiring at the end of July. We're going to let it go until then. Um, uh, but but that's the end of it. <clears throat> Well, in early August, the Biden administration decided. Well, the Supreme Court said we can't, uh, we can't do this. But let's amend the old uh, eviction moratorium and just change it a little bit so it's different from the case that the U.S. Supreme Court did said. And we're going to put in, put it in place, but it's going to it's uh, going to impact um, the vast majority of the country
1: anyway. Yeah, they, they, cr- they created these these these, these zones, these right? COVID I mean, COVID zones, COVID hotspots. Yeah, so. It's still, so- yeah. And then they basically laid the zones over the entire country. Exactly. Brilliant.
3: And, and so that's um, so that essentially extended the eviction moratorium. And here you have these landlords um, who, who, in many instances, haven't been paid for a year and a half. Well, they still have to pay their property taxes. Um, if they still have mortgages on their rental properties, they have to pay the mortgages uh, on the rental properties. They have to pay for maintenance uh, of, of their rental properties. And to do that with no income getting in, coming in, it's in some cases it's impossible. Um, uh, so the, th- there are new lawsuits both against the state because Governor Pritzker is enforcing the federal mandate, and against the federal government. And the Supreme Court's already ruled on this. Um, um, so there's only one dis- one outcome that's going to happen. Uh, the Supreme Court will rule again that these these mandates um, that were not set by Congress, mind you, that the Congress federally is what who's supposed to make laws, uh, was set by the Biden administration. Um, the Supreme Court will, once it gets to them, uh, w- once the new cases get to them, will rule again that this is illegal, this is unconstitutional, you can't do this. Um, I just hope it's not too late for those, particularly those retired mom and pop landlords um, who count on rent income uh, for their
1: retirement. Well, I do, you know, I I do too. I I mean, it's just, it's insane, you know, that a a property owner would be put into this situation and there's no, there's no consideration for uh, the property owners that, you know, are affording people a place but, to live.
3: And let me, let me say this too. I certainly, I, I don't want to see, in Illinois' case, tens of thousands of people put on the street. But what we've learned during these, this past year and a half is there are many people, like one, um, unemployment numbers have significantly decreased. They're still elevated above pre-pandemic levels, but they significantly d- decreased since the height of the pandemic. People are back to work. Two in Illinois across the country, there are millions of jobs available. But the um, uh, but the federal government, with their supplemental unemployment benefits, is making it um, uh, uh, making it easier for people not to return to work um, because they're getting uh, these additional in addition to state benefits, yep. they're getting three hundred dollars a week from the, the federal government. And there's also people that we know of that. Just aren't paying their rent because the go- the federal government says they don't have to, even though they can afford to pay. Yeah, I mean, if you're
1: getting an extra three hundred dollars a week <coughs> from the uh, from the federal government, what are you doing with that money? I mean, it, you know, I mean, is, you, is your rent, you know, radically in excess of twelve hundred dollars a month?
3: Right. and keep, Yes. And keep in mind that that's on top of state benefits. Right. W- in which in which in most cases is more than that three hundred dollars a week
1: it's, it's it, it, it's just this this is crazy. So how um yeah, I think the next checkpoint on more on the uh, eviction moratorium <coughs> is is in, is in September. Right? Or or excuse me, or is that is that the forbearance uh target? Cuz that's another issue. You, you got people right. that aren't paying their mortgages, right? So, uh, you know, the the for people out there that are kind of looking at the real estate market and it was at a particularly hot, hot market this year and into this summer. It's starting to cool off a little bit, but it was a crazy hot market this summer. Um, You got forbearances, you know, which, you know, which would be, you know, uh, allowing people to, to not pay their mortgage, but not give up the home. And then you've got this eviction moratorium. These, this housing situation just in general is, um, I mean, it really feels like it's headed for a moment.
3: Yeah. Well, let me get back to your question about when, the, when, the, when these moratorium ends. The state's moratorium ends August 31st. The federal ones supposed to expire October 3rd. But keep in mind, these deadlines keep getting extended. So, so we say that's the deadline now, but they keep getting extended. Who's to say that they won't get extended again? You know at the end of august uh at the beginning at the end of september for the federal one because they keep getting extended so <clears throat> landlords have, they don't know when the end is going to be they don't know when they're going to be able to collect um rent and for for many of these people who have not paid rent for 17 18 months um <clears throat> because they claim they couldn't pay it how are they going to be able to pay back back rent 17 18 months worth of rent.
1: Yeah, you think about what this is going to look like when, you know, when this is all said and done and and the in private, you know, private landlords, you know, the vast majority of landlords whether it's mom and pop or or corporate. I mean, they establish their own parameters for rental conditions, you know, first last, first month, last month, security deposit, etc. I mean, what's it going to cost to rent to rent a place in the in in, you know, after this great reset that it feels like that we're heading toward in the housing market. I mean, I just don't see this from a policy standpoint as doing anything other than protracting the inevitability or exacerbating the future of rent for people who can't afford to buy a home or choose to rent. Right. That, 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 the, that the barrier to entry on rent, which is relatively low, is going to be much higher. And employment will be, I would assume landlords will make employment mandatory. And I assume that landlords in the future are going to say, Well, you know what? We're going to need, you know, we're going to need more than the first and last. You know, we're oh, going to so need right. you to prepay X number of months for you to get in here because we're not doing this again
3: exactly yeah it's 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 it it's again it's just like many of the covid restrictions you know it's it's meaning well maybe maybe meaning well uh maybe not meaning so well but let's just assume that the government is meaning well with all of these restrictions and and other mitigations but not looking at the fall, potential fallout of what the problem could be. And that's, that's like exactly, a decision
1: being made in a vacuum. Exactly. You know, as, as, if this is, is, if the, as if this is a sustainable policy track. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's going to be harder for people to rent in the future. And I mean, depending on what happens with forbearances, uh, you know, I'm not trying to to suggest that we're headed toward a, a, a housing crash, but you know those numbers aren't good either no oh boy
3: no tough more the more tough no more tough times ahead no doubt about it
1: so you know in 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 I, I would almost say that it you know it would be lighter you know lighter news but the Illinois State Fair is going on uh, in Springfield and you know I'm looking at a photograph that our Greg Bishop took and a lot of people standing around at the state fair and not many of them are wearing masks. (laughs) They're outside, of course. I mean, and they, you know, maybe they're socially distant. Uh, it's hard to tell from the perspective of the, of the photograph, but, um, Greg had a chance to catch up with, uh, with Illinois farmers, um, as part of, it was agricultural day, right? Tuesday was agricultural day at the uh,
3: Illinois state fair. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so what's on the minds of Illinois farmers?
3: Well, uh, you, essentially the same thing that's on the mind of uh, most Illinois homeowners, um, property taxes. Um, uh, this, this, you pay ta- property taxes, I pay, pay property taxes. Many of our listeners pay property taxes. And if there's one certainty um, in Illinois, even if um, there's a decline in the housing market, and your property values stay stagnant or may even decline as did after the Great Recession of 2008-2009, um, even if that is the case, your property taxes are going up every single year. Um, of course, this is tied to many. All of these issues have tentacles. They're, they're all tied together. We've talked uh, uh, on the show before about how Illinois' population is shrinking um, year in and year out we lose uh we lose significant population on net more people are moving out of the state than are moving in or being born combined
1: right. uh,
3: and one of that one of the reasons is outrageous property taxes study after study after study has shown um that illinoisans pay the second highest property taxes in in new jersey or in the country thank you new jersey i should say they yeah. they pay the they pay the highest um, and farmers are the same thing. Of course, farmers own acres and acres and acres of land. Um, and, uh, uh, so they, you, and I think we have a problem with our property taxes. Imagine farmers who own, you know, let's say, uh, 500 to a thousand acres of land and imagine what their property tax bills, uh, are on tax day. Right.
1: Even with the differences in, in zoning and, you know, um, and, and the tax rates that are, you know, that are, that are laid on the different types of properties. I mean, that, they're they're carrying a huge tax burden um so what about the other aspects of uh of the of the conversation that we had with Illinois farmers when in particular like energy costs i mean farm operations so i mean you got you know you have a couple of things at work here um you know concerns about being able to you know to 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 cover your property tax bills but actually you know the the operation of a farm is is not um, it's not inexpensive no uh, and so and you need equipment and and you know getting equipment right now is not easy so if you need new equipment i mean the the issues that exist in the auto market are not you know they're they're not exclusive to the automobile market i mean it, you know, farm implements and you know tractors and you know things that you would use to harvest uh, corn and, and, and whatnot. I mean that, that stuff isn't, uh, isn't cheap right now either. And then you've got fuel prices, uh, on top of that, which continue to be bananas. I mean, we're still paying some in the neighborhood of, you know, $3 and 39 cents a gallon here in the suburbs. Um, I was at a, a, an event over the weekend. So it was over on the North shore in Evanston. Gasoline at the local gas station there was three dollars and seventy nine cents wow. a gallon for regular. Um, it's just, it's just, it's they're getting hit from every side here, huh?
3: I, I'll bring it back to the farmers here in a second, just for for reference. I was in uh, uh, the state of Texas last week, moving my daughter into her uh, her new dorm, and um, uh, uh, rented a car and filled up the get, the car a couple of different times. It was I paid about two fifty a gallon um, in Texas, and you know what? Motorists around there were complaining about how the co- the high cost of gas at 250 a gallon. Well, I said, why don't you come back to Illinois yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, we'll we'll talk about it then. Anyway, so yeah, so um, energy prices is also a big concern for farmers and for others. Um, Governor Pritzker has this plan uh, to close all the state's coal-fired power plants uh, by no later than 2045. ComEd, as we've talked about, um, has come. Back to state government with its hand out, wanting a bailout of its um, nuclear plants. Um, Governor Pritzker wants to move forward with that. Of course, lawmakers have been meeting uh, behind closed closed doors on these ed- energy plans. So a lot of the stuff is unknown. Um, with energy costs already rising, both at the f- at the fuel pump and elsewhere, at the gas pump and elsewhere. Of course, farmers um, who, who who are sort of a bit of a precarious profession, right? Because th- they depend on yeah. They, they depend on things outside of their control, uh, whether it's going to be a boom or a bust year, including um, the weather. Um, so they have to think long term, but they live, they live in the year to the year. Um, and when their taxes continue to go up and there's uncertainty about uh, the energy market and what, um, what this Governor Pritchard's green energy plan and, and mandates, uh, how they're going to affect energy costs, I, I don't blame them uh, for being worried about what the future holds.
1: Yeah. I mean, you said year to year and they certainly do year to year planning, but I mean, that's the kind of business that's, it's, it's, it's day by day. And, and some of them would tell you it's minute by minute, right. right. You know, simply because the, you know, the working, working a, a, a farm, I mean, is subject to so many different external conditions, you know, and, and weather we've had a, we've had a, we've had kind of a rough A rough summer. I mean, the number of, you know, uh, tornadoes and big storms and things like that. And remember, at the beginning of the summer, it was crazy hot. You know, in central Illinois and northern Illinois. I mean, we had days in the 90s prolonged in in the month of June. And then it rained and rained and rained. Um, You know, we're taping this, you know, uh, on Thursday, as we mentioned earlier. It got up to 90 degrees here yesterday and it's supposed to be a um uh, an exceptionally uh, hot day, you know, up our way today. I can only imagine when it's like, you know, farther down state.
3: In terms of the weather, Illinois farmers have gotten a bit of a break. Yeah, it's been crazy weather and and that's always an issue. Um but a significant portion of the country uh is under severe drought um conditions and that that of course impacts uh uh farmers. Uh, so you never know what you're going to get there. So it would be nice to have a government, a reliable government, an efficient government that doesn't continue to increase spending year in and year out to count on for some stability from the farmers. But they obviously, they they can't count on stability from the weather. They can't count on stability from their state and local governments because they continue to increase spending, which drives property taxes up. Um, and then you've got this this green energy plan from governor pritzker that creates more uncertainty about what the future is going to hold for energy prices Ugh, tough business to be in
1: so the the fair itself i mean you know for people that are you know they're they're listening to us in, in the moment um you know o- over this uh, this weekend uh the fair runs through sunday it's the last day um still some things to go and see and of course you know the opportunity is to support the people, you know, who are making the contributions to this state. Agriculture is such a huge part of, of the state's identity. And um, it really does occupy a a significant amount of the attraction of the Illinois State Fair. I'm hopeful that the, that the people that, you know, that can access it and, and simply it's, you know, Springfield's not very convenient if you live anywhere you know, north of I-80, um, it's a haul to get down there, you know. But I, I'm hopeful that people, you know, around the state, you know, continue to, to go and participate in that.
3: You know, and uh, agreed. If you can't participate in your, the state fair, because Springfield, just whether it be too far or, uh, you know, too inconvenient or whatever, there are county fairs around that, uh, that are very similar, smaller in scale, certainly, uh, but that you can support that also support. Local farmers uh, right. and others,
1: right? And go talk to a farmer. Get to know the people that grow your food. You know that raise the pigs and the and the and the you know and and the uh, the cows and the and the chickens and the stuff that you eat. Um, grow your vegetables. You know, I mean, get to know these people. They're great people. They're the, they're really you know, in, in large part, they're the backbone of this the, the state of Illinois from an economic standpoint. And uh, you know it's not easy for them. They they'd be only too glad to tell you uh, what uh, you know what their life is like and the challenges that they face. And uh, you know, by and large, they're fantastic people. Who play Absolutely. an important role. Absolutely. So, Dan, um, we've come to the end of the end of the line. Any any final thoughts today? Any parting shots? Parting shots. Final thoughts. Um. Well, for me and my
3: wife, this is going to be our first weekend uh, coming up uh, home alone. No kids, both off to college, both in other states. So it's going to be a little bit weird Um, enjoying the house uh, to ourselves. Um, Don't have any project lists started yet, but I imagine that's coming pretty soon.
1: Well, I I wish you the very best in um, in, in, not to say having uh, to talk to each other. But uh, gaining the opportunity to talk to each other, uh, uh, hopefully, you know, that that goes well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rooting for you. I hope so. Thank you. All right. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus podcast. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the center square will be working on next week.
0: Next week, with more schools starting back up, we'll continue to review the latest fallout of the governor's mask mandate and track the latest on the state's legislative and congressional maps. The team with the Center Square will also delve into where proposed energy legislation may end up as lawmakers get closer to the fall veto session in Springfield. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square,